think we have this weird stigma where like we can talk about body image, we can talk about obesity, but we can't talk about something that's wrong that you can't see. We want to see things. People can't see anxiety. They can't see worry and depression. It's hard for other people to understand that. But when you're going through it, you know all about it. When I tell my people who message me that I'm tearing up, like I'm tearing up. It, it really, really touches me. And cause I know, even though I'm not in that dark place, I know what it feels like. I know what it was. I'm not there anymore, but I was there and I was really, really there. I never had one person to look at or follow on social media that was going through some of the things. And if I did, it might've changed my mind. That is Megan, I'm Andrew Connect, and this is the Unpretentious Podcast. In high school, Megan had the perfect life. She had the grades, athleticism, kindness, membership in the right clubs, and the right relationships that everyone wanted. She sat at the popular table, and though she was surrounded by people, she felt deeply alone. Soon, the only way she could safely express negative emotions was through food and directed at her body. It took her years before she finally faced what was going on. I asked her about her journey, and here is what she shared. I'm excited to be sharing this and really dive deep into where I was and how I got to where I am. I am now known as this Instagram girl who helps transform other women in many different aspects, but I think the reason why I am good at what I do is because I had to go through these transformations myself. And it really started at a much younger age to where I had to really dive into my own personal development and my own personal transformation. That's the, you know, physical, emotional, and mental transformation that happened for me back then. So before all the transformation, what what was the before picture of your life? I was the popular girl in this small town. I played the triathlete. I was on student council. I was speaking at my graduation. I, I had everything that everyone thought was perfect. I really thrived on other people's acceptance for who I was and being liked, being the girl that everybody would think was nice. I had a life that so many people would say, was amazing and perfect and they wanted everything that I had. I had boyfriend and I had grades and athleticism. I had everything, what people thought. And then deep down though, like every night I actually felt really lonely, not even just at night, but like at the lunch table when I was sitting at the popular table and I was in that big crowd of all the cool kids. I still felt alone in that moment. And when I look back at it, I just see myself sitting alone with all these mm. people around me, not actually understanding what was going on inside 
from there, it was continuing to be the nice girl and continuing to be the people pleaser where if they wanted me to try out for this, I would try out for that. If they wanted me to speak at this, I would speak at that. Um, it had nothing to do with what I wanted. I just wanted people to be like, hey, great job. I'm hearing like two threads or themes where it's like you are this people pleaser, but like the popular girl. So did life kind of orbit around you and you were okay with that? Basically, yes, like I was a people pleaser, but I also had everything that the, you know, the perfect life would have laid out because I was a people pleaser in the sense that I didn't want to be on student council, but everyone told me to run. And so I just ran and then got a position on it because people liked me and, and because I did what they wanted me to do. So my people pleasing and my perfect world of popularity they just kept rolling together to make a bigger snowball. I see. So if it's not broke, don't fix it. Where being nice <laughs> was getting you everything you thought you wanted or the best you saw available, but you really mm. weren't understanding what you did want from life. Yeah, I just did what other people told me I should or should not do. I didn't even know I had a, my own voice inside my head. <laughs> it's obvious you do now, so I'm curious how that all developed, but it sounds like we're still moving <laughs> along. So you're how how far did your script in life take you? Or it's like you were you had a, a game plan through high school, through college. How mm -hmm. long did you keep operating off what others wanted? All through high school, graduated, got into a college, a great college, went to school for nutrition. And then when I was studying nutrition, I had that new pressure of being this like sciencey health guru person and this perfection person there that I felt like I had to live up to a different standard of what people saw me eating, what people saw me doing physically, like for my workouts and um, how my body looked. I thought it had to be a certain way because I was a nutrition student. That was a lot of pressure and that script was very hard to live up to, but I continued to push and continue to put my body through a lot of ups and downs just to fit that role. And then the pressure in college where I still, it was kind of a shock to not be that popular girl anymore because I wasn't in that small town. Mm. I moved on to a big college. So I joined a sorority to try to be that popular girl again. Quickly found out within the sorority, like I maybe didn't want to be the popular girl anymore. <laughs> and that was a really hard thing to keep trying to be when it wasn't naturally just happening to me. So I really realized that I didn't enjoy that pressure of having to do so much with nutrition and my sorority. And then when I was in my senior year of college and I realized I didn't even really want to continue on to dietetics, which is what most nutrition students do, life kind of just hit me and I started having really bad anxiety attacks and really bad panic issues and depression, just not knowing what to do next. You're having some cracks in this perfect life, which all along you knew wasn't perfect for yourself, but everyone else seemed to think it was. So you, you were going with it. Mm -hmm. But then what? Mm -hmm. So when this anxiety starts to hit, was it like a general vague anxiety or did you have like a specific, this is what I need to fix in my life? Or how did you, how were you able to process this? Like, why am I feeling anxious when everything is so wonderful in my life? Mm. My very first anxiety attack. I had no idea what it was. Mm -hmm. I was just, luckily I was with two of my best friends and this big, big group of people. And I just looked at them and I said, 
just trust me. I don't know why I need to leave, but we need to leave right now. They got me out of there right then. And then I was able to openly talk to them about like my feelings, but I didn't even know how to really describe it because it was something Mm. that I just kept shoving down my whole life. And so I was like almost lying to myself my whole life because if everyone else didn't see my life was not as perfect, then what am I doing? Like I was lying to myself saying, no, Meg, you are perfect. You are fine. Everything's going for you. I didn't even allow myself to sit with that negativity as much as I should have. You saw perfection reflected in other people's eyes. And while you didn't personally believe it, you just went along with it because, hey, it's sure easy to base my self-opinion based off of others when they're all saying I'm perfect. Like I'll keep being nice in order to keep getting that form of identity that's perfect. So what I don't get is you had your first anxiety attack. How did you then not close off and go silent about it? How were you able to actually open up? I was silent for a while. It was only those like close friends that knew that I was struggling with it and that I opened up to about, I honestly didn't really open up to an abundance of people until I moved and I didn't know people. <laughs> but at the time being, it was just, they were in the moment so I easily could talk to them. But growing up, I didn't have anybody to talk to. The only reason I opened up to them is because they were kind of my safety net at that time. If they were not as close to me outside of like right then, then I probably would have still stuck myself into this little box of like, just stay quiet. You have a perfect life. It just really happened to be that they were there to share that with because before that I didn't share it with anybody. Okay. And when you were sharing it with them, you didn't think it was a big issue, I presume. Like this was just a small one-time thing that you didn't understand. You didn't think you were sharing the tip of an iceberg with them. Right. Yeah. I knew like the feelings I had were as dramatic as they were. And and that was a big deal to feel that way. But I didn't think that it was really like a whole life shattering, changing thing. I see. Before then, you hadn't really shared any like deep concerns or issues like, hey, guess what? I think my whole life is not true. (laughs) You know, it it wasn't, but you felt that way or that would have maybe been how you expressed it. So this was something Mm -hmm. that it felt very intense, but it's it felt small and manageable, and it was with your close friends, so that, that you could share. That's okay. You talked about moving. Why did you move, or what happened after this anxiety attack? After that, you know, I lived in that area with a couple of my best girlfriends for the next three years, and was it three years? It was two years. Yeah, the next two years, I lived with them. And it was great, you know, it was fun. And those were my like actual real friends, like the first real friends I had in my whole lifetime. Before when I was that popular girl, I had these best friends, but they were not my best friends. Uh (laughs) These friends that I have at this time in my life was post-college and they were my real good friends. And so that was fun. It was really, really nice to have that. But at the same time, I was like, um, not fully myself. Like I, I was more myself than I ever was before, but I I wasn't, I didn't feel like I was still in my own power and that I still had more to discover about myself. And I knew I wasn't going to find that if I stayed around those best friends because they would love me no matter what. And I just didn't ever get deep down hard enough into the, the messy stuff because I was great again. My life was good. Like I had my best friends. That was what I was missing before. And now I have that. Mm. And I had great boyfriend at the time. 
and he was really fun. We just had a lot of fun together. He was kind of like a free spirit guy. He really just did his own thing, and he was my first boyfriend that was like that. <laughs> like, not to sound cocky, but before that, it was relationships. Like, it was more about me than it was about them. <laughs> <laughs> I got you. And, <laughs> and this was my first boyfriend where like he did his own thing and he just it wasn't like anything against me but he just loved his life very independently and so that kind of rang with me to be like um okay Meg well this isn't a forever thing so uh, what are you doing if he wants to be a free spirit and he's not going to settle in because in my eyes like I live to you know find a husband like that's just what my little town did we all just got married young and that's what, what my next step was supposed to be I wasn't supposed to go off and see the world something <laughs> hit me and I was like okay I'm gonna go off and see the world and so I did I just literally one day was like I'm I'm moving I'm doing it and so I found someone who was moving to Florida didn't really know her kind of knew of her and moved with her and didn't look back that sounds awesome help me understand what was it that made you leave a life that a lot of people would work so hard throughout high school, throughout college? They would work so hard to achieve everything that you are just walking away from. Why did you feel this need to leave what you had behind? What were you looking for or why was what you had not good enough? I don't know if I knew it at the time. It was something that tugged me in this direction. But looking back at it is I always would cling on to that acceptance of other people and whether that be you know growing up in high school and all the people around me or a boyfriend at the time or my best friends um, I still was looking for love from them like I wanted to be with them 24 7 and mm. I just didn't allow myself to be alone I also knew that I didn't want to live in the state a lot of it did have to do with I didn't want to live in that state anymore it's actual like I didn't want to live in Maine <laughs> <laughs> the friends that I was with, you know, they wanted to, they loved our little town. They loved everything about it. And I started to just do a lot of like soul searching in the sense of like market net. I was network marketing and they really taught me a lot about personal development. So I was like, okay, I'm going to jump on it. And so I just, I went. <laughs> and I think that underlying it was my body and my mind and my emotions telling me to stop clinging on to other people's need to be loved by other people and take this time for yourself because you're never going to unless you take yourself out of the situation. You're almost looking for a challenge or looking for something to say, let me remove all the support that I have in order to force myself to be myself on my own. Mm -hmm, definitely. And because you have to also know that like when I moved, I did not have a presence on social media at all. I, I had less than like 300 followers so like it wasn't like I was moving to like step into this role who I am now I didn't know that I was going to be who I am now so I mm -hmm. didn't even have that which is kind of like a false sense of security and friendship having all of those connections so I, I really was moving to just be alone <laughs> but no to face things by yourself and you knew if you had an easy out you might take it so I need to that's the thing where it's like okay well how how did that occur I mean I, You've, you've walked us through the, some of the reasons why, where it's like you knew internally you, you hadn't lost sight of the fact that things weren't perfect, even though everyone else thought they were. That sounds like the start kind of, of like you got serious about 
looking for something different than what you had, something better, even though what you had by most people's standards was pretty amazing. Right, right. Because there's just no way to fully describe the fact that I felt extremely lonely when I was mm -hmm. never actually alone. Alone in the crowd. like. Right. So I had to actually make myself be alone with no other physical body around me um, mm. to realize, you know, what is it that I want from others and what is it that I can do for myself? Gotcha. And then, then what happened next? Then I moved to Florida, drove here, and the first year I was living with that girl that I knew and I found a job right away. Let you just know, I moved here with ever, never being to the town I lived in now and i also moved here never seen the apartment and um not having a job <laughs> just moved so i got a job when i got here and started working for a holistic doctor as a nutritionist and then on as like a coach that we did phone calls every day to people all across the country so that's where like my coaching i think it really came in as i found that i really 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 enjoyed connecting with people one-on-one -on -one making those transformations for them. When I moved here, I was alone a lot more too. So it did let me dive deep into some of these other issues like the anxiety and body dysmorphia and eating disorders that I had growing up. Allowing myself to be alone helped me see that they were actually all real issues. Can you help us understand, like you're saying, like body dysmorphia, eating disorder, what, what was that kind of looking like in your story? It was actually a huge, huge part my whole life that growing up, the influences around me, the other women in my family, they always had different things with eating disorders and they always spoke very negatively about their body. It was rarely good. So I just didn't mm. hear positive talk about your one's body. So that would, could easily have been some of the miscommunication in my own brain of like, my whole mm -hmm. family talked negatively about their body, but everyone told me my body was great. So I'm kind of confused. <laughs> like, what do I actually think? So the body dysmorphia was a huge thing growing up. And then the eating disorders, some of my family members had struggled with as well. So I just naturally did that as well. And wanting to be accepted and part of my nutrition, needing my nutrition degree, I think had a huge part of that too, because I was expected to eat a certain way. So in mm. public, I would be this great nutrition student and I would eat my apple. And then when I got home, I would binge out on my Oreos and my chips because <laughs> no one knew. And if no one saw that it didn't happen. That's what we all want to hear. You're not just eating apples, you're eating Oreos as well. Good to know. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> Bring Miss Perfect down from her pedestal. Okay. <laughs> yes. <laughs> would you have felt ashamed if someone had found out you did eat oreos yeah when i did binge i didn't binge at like gatherings i did not binge when anyone knew i mm. binged in private and if i did like eat a little bit more out to eat like if my friends and i were out to eat mm -hmm. i would go home and i would binge way harder alone like i wouldn't allow myself to full-on binge when anyone was around but when i was private oh that whole thing of oreos was gone <laughs> okay and was that the one place it sounds like in your family that was the one place you were allowed to have a negative attitude like you could feel yeah. so you had you might have negative feelings from other areas of your life but the one place you could channel those feelings that was acceptable was either food or your body because your family got it mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Exactly. It was so, I mean, my family turned to food during good, during bad. I mean, I think food's beautiful because it does bring us together in all aspects, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. my family was really dramatic about it. <laughs> and what happens in all aspects of our society, you see it like on movies or whatever, you know, your girlfriend has a breakup, you guys get ice cream and wine and sit home. Mm. Like, to this day, and I still do that with my girlfriends. I just happen to get healthier options of ice cream. And <laughs> I plan better, so it's not a full binge. <laughs> but I think knowing that it's okay to do that, like it's so looked down on to mm. fit yourself in this little box of what's perfect to be quote-unquote a nutritionist, and that was really a lot of pressure. I, that's interesting. So like you're saying, just society, everyone's taught that this is how you handle some of the worst feelings in your life. And it's not that yeah. that's a that's a great place to start. But if that's all you know about life, then you have anxiety and you don't know where it's coming from. You just keep shoving it down with food. You mm-hmm. don't actually get to it. <laughs> and that was part of what your move out to Florida, you got down to it. You're starting coaching holistically for that doctor. What happened next? So working with him was great. Like I realized I have a passion to actually just have open communication with people and not just like sit behind a computer screen, make diet plans or something. Like it was Mm. the actual communication that was really rewarding. And then I just started to honestly disagree a lot of the things that he was preaching and teaching, which goes into a lot of my strong opinions about nutrition and food I started to want to speak up and teach it my way but just wasn't able to because I was working for him and Mm -hmm. I had to I felt like a fraud telling them that this or that was the way to do it Uh I really started to get into growing my Instagram and making a bigger impact on that growing it for I think you're kind of silly to say that you grow it just for an impact. Like, I think we start because we do want some type of recognition. Maybe that was Mm -hmm. me missing the fact that I used to be popular. I don't really know. Mm -hmm. But I did grow it for wanting a little bit of recognition and then wanting to make an impact with it. And then once my Instagram started growing and growing and my fitness journey was really taking off, my transformation was starting to make other people reach out and ask me questions and then I started to get coaching myself to help coach other people. Then I quit my job. (laughs) (laughs) And you quit your job to do what exactly? I quit my job to do one-on-one and group coaching for women all across the world via email and phone calls. And we really focus in on fitness and nutrition, but every single client that leaves with me, you know, always gives me the feedback that it's their self-love and their confidence that has flourished more than anything because what I do in my coaching style is it's not as easy as eat this not that it is a deeper issue and and we all have them and we have to really dig deep and figure out what it is and sort that out and flourish into our own confidence not just a specific body type so you're not selling a miracle cure of follow two easy steps and everything becomes better there is no easy answer like that no no wish it wish it was (laughs) be great what does your program look like where it sounds like you're requiring some level of commitment to people not to sell Mm -hmm. them an easy fix but you're actually what what do you ask of someone or expect of someone if they want to hey she had an eating disorder or she 
didn't feel self-love. Mm-hmm. What do they have to bring to the table in order to start with you? Well, I have all of my women apply and it's really important to me, not just because like I'm, I'm picking and choosing who sounds good. <laughs> like I think it's important before either I get on a call with them or they get on a call with me, like whoever's time is valued there is that they're coming to me knowing that they're not going to get a quick fix. That's super important. If mm. they're on their application or like, yeah, I just want to be a size zero. I'm like, cool. Well, starve yourself. I don't really mean that. I don't mean that. <laughs> right. No, I get what you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> um, but if that's their only goal, like I'll get on their phone call and be like, Hey, this looks like it's just not going to work out. Like I know other coaches who would work with you, but this is not something I do. I do work on a deeper level. So I make them really look at all aspects. And I, I ask them on their form, like, what are you trying to work on mentally, physically, and emotionally? I don't just care about the physical. And then in the whole process, I make them work on the self-love and I make them take responsibility for our check-ins and for us to actually talk about deeper things than just a scale or inches lost. Part of what I'm hearing you say, it almost sounds like you you expect them to have a problem <laughs> and not just, <laughs> not just a, not just a, I want to get down to a size zero problem. It's mm-hmm. I'm willing to work on something, help give me the tools or the motivation or the support or what it, but if there's nothing wrong in their life, which is kind of analogous to you back in the day, which is when you had nothing wrong with your life and you couldn't talk about mm-hmm. anything, you don't really see any chance of making progress from that state of mind. If you... Exactly. Exactly. And I will have, like I'll get on the phone with pretty much anyone and when they do say like it's only pretty much physical that they want to change I make them dive deeper and almost every single phone call they're like well it's like this because of this and then they go deeper and they tell me what is the actual issue and then I'm like okay this is sounding like we definitely go somewhere because if it literally was only that you want to be a certain size you would do it because you know what google there's so much mm-hmm. information you can do it you need an emotional connection and a guide and a mentor for a different reason. I'm just thinking from like what magazines tell me about life, <laughs> like in terms <laughs> like, you know, female fitness or health magazines or men's fitness. Mm-hmm. A lot of it is, and you're not, like I'm saying, you're not disagreeing with this, but it's about embracing yourself. It's like being comfortable in your own skin mm-hmm. and you're all for that. But if that's the only thing you're focusing on, you don't think it's possible to truly be comfortable in your own skin if you're not willing to embrace your own story or your own flaws. Yes, because I'll tell you so many, I also do bodybuilding shows and so many competitors who actually finally get to that goal body, they feel worse about themselves. It has nothing to do with your body fat percentage and your size. And that's just something we keep searching for. There is a deeper Mm -hmm. issue that people like the magazines and the tabloids are not touching on. That's what's easy. That's what sells. That's what we mm-hmm. we want to believe is I just bought this thing for $2 off the shelf and all I had to do was read it and my life will be just like this celebrities if I got down to a size zero or if I bought this product. You're like you're saying you you're like more power to you. That's not me, but you you don't view life that way. And so you're going beyond just embracing your curves to embracing what you think is not okay with you or how do you how do you help walk someone through that process of I'm coming to you, but I'm only willing to admit on the surface that my problem is that I'm a bigger size than I want to be? How do you how do you help them understand that to truly 
change that you can't just focus on thinking your life will be perfect if you had the right car and the right dress and the right you know relationship how do I do it? <laughs> well, honestly, I think that we do all secretly know that it's something deeper than that, but it's just mm. not feeling like a safe place to openly communicate it. I think we have this weird stigma where like we can talk about body image, we can talk about obesity, but we can't talk about something that's wrong that you can't see. We want to see mm. things. People can't see anxiety. They can't see worry and de depression. Mm. Like, it's hard for other people to understand that but when you're going through it you know all about it <laughs> like you're saying it's shame and guilt are things that the only way the magazine cover knows how to deal with is to, to deny that they exist and to never let anyone make you feel that way i yeah. have no i have no tools how to handle this problem this is too big i must <laughs> right like that and that's what you're saying you're kind mm -hmm. of saying well we've got to figure this out in order to get you ha to have self-love or to truly embrace your body you've got to figure out not what society says not what your parents say or your boyfriend says but what mm -hmm. what do you what's going on within you that's making you not feel okay something i saw the other day that really resonated with me was like you can't truly appreciate your state or your body that you're in right now until you fall in love with the experiences that have shaped you and mm. that's something that we just we're scared to fall in love with all the bad things that happen to us and that's not popular if you have a, a job on social media that's probably hard you're worried you're going to lose likes or lose followers if you don't maintain this perfect image mm -hmm. what i mean when someone's career is built around that or they're they're looking at saying, I have these opportunities available ahead of me if I don't mess up my social media following or if I just grow it. It seems like being perfect is what's popular and what most people flock to. Why would they ever not just do what's popular to get along and to get a following and to get ahead? I mean, some people do. <laughs> a lot of people do. I personally don't because I was being fake perfect my whole life and mm. it's my first like big huge scale outlet that I can be myself and mm. I started with my like openness on Instagram honestly as like a journal mm. I didn't even think about who was really seeing it a lot a lot of people get scared to post on social media because who's gonna see this blah 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 like I didn't really think of it I really thought it was like my private little journal <laughs> even though I knew it was public <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> um, I think I just felt good after I wrote those types of posts that really explained my faults or my failures. Mm. And then I just kept doing it because I got feedback from people being like, wow, thank you for admitting that you're not perfect and that you're, that you're human. Because there's so many people out there, all the celebrities who are perfect that we don't get to see that they are human. Yeah. And that's where you formed your community around that deeper sort of connection where other people might form a community just based off of how they look and they get the like. What changed where it made you feel free to admit you had flaws, free to admit your life wasn't perfect, where before that was the last thing you would ever do? I mean, we've touched on this before, but I'm still like, that's, that is a transformation. That is something that before to admit that you're eating an Oreo, it's like, no, I only eat, you know, fruit and apples. Like, how dare you? How could you walk someone who's they're hearing this and all they're thinking is that seems impossible to one even open my mouth and admit that there's something wrong and then two to imagine I could get to a place where I find it freeing to actually deal with it 
that's quite the gap. Can, <laughs> can you walk us through that again? I know you already have, but I'm still like, okay, how did this happen? It's this fear that we are going to be judged or that we're going to be looked at in a different light. And I know all about that. Like I lived it my whole life. What I tell my girls, my clients is like, you just take action once, just do it once. That first time you do it, it's going to be the hardest time. It's going to be so scary. You do it one time, see what happens. What's the best thing that's going to happen? What's the worst thing that's going to happen? And if that is that, you know, you lose whatever 30 followers like that's the worst thing you're worried about 30 people who don't really know you unfollowing you cool i think you're still gonna live the sun's still gonna rise tomorrow <laughs> um what's the best thing the best thing is that maybe you reach someone who really needed that and you get that feedback and there's nothing that matches that compassion and that feeling of actually connecting with someone and so I just really talk them through like what's the best what's the worst do it because the worst is not nearly as heavy as the best like go for the best how would you describe that feeling to someone who maybe has only experienced it to a small degree of this life you're talking about where you're connecting with people you're sharing your issues what were you missing before in your quotes unquote perfect life that this feeling is now that you're saying it's far better than that it's very hard to explain, but it is like, I think our body gets kind of confused on what anxiety and excitement is. <laughs> it's just like a rush of some crazy feeling and it's how we handle it. And the excitement I get from others is a way that my body still gets that amplified energy feeling, but it's not anxiety, it's excitement. It's a thrill like all through my body when I hear people open up about their stories and how I impacted them and when I tell my people who message me that I'm tearing up, like mm. I'm tearing up, it, it really, really touches me. And cause I know, even mm. though I'm not in that dark place, I know what it feels like. I know what it was. I am not there anymore, but I was there and I was really, really there. So to be able to hear that just someone else had, I never had one person to look at um, or follow on social media that was going through similar things. Mm. And if I did, it might've, change my mind and help me go a little faster. <laughs> Unlike before when you had like a high or a feel good feeling from eating all those Oreos or you had the perfect life and you got elected, you know, your class speaker, I'm sure that felt good. How does that high compare to this high? Like would that high eventually lead to you crashing again and this this new form of experiencing positive emotions doesn't or how do you kind of distinguish between what you thought was the best joy possible and what you have now? Oh, the joy in the past that I experienced was because of other people's words. It had really nothing to do with me. It had mm -hmm. to do with like, I was getting joy from people being like, Hey, that was a great speech. Good job. Mm -hmm. I didn't actually live in the moment there. Time passes and people forget about your speech. Time passes and people forget about what you did because you showed up on this, whatever, but people never forget how they feel because of something that you've done. So people who reached out to me forever ago, like they'll still reach out to me randomly and be like, Hey, just to let you know, you're still helping me. It's like a continuous thing. When I put myself out there, I get 10 times more back. Whereas before I didn't put myself out there. I just fit myself into a shape that someone else wanted and they would only give mm -hmm. me praise for so long. I see. So it, it, was, it was a constant need to, because you weren't feeling good about yourself. You had, yeah, it's nice. I, you made me feel good for today, but what about tomorrow? It was, uh, I see. Mm. 
And one of, one of the things you mentioned earlier was like you you were you were fearful of being judged if like you were honest or admitted things weren't perfect. Were you ever judged once you started opening up? I definitely, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's been, I mean, like on social media, you have the trolls, you have people who are quite rude and people who just will tag their friends and kind of laugh on your post. You're like, really? Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> you couldn't just laugh in it by, by yourself. You had to tag your friend. <laughs> <laughs> cool. We have those. I mean, I even had a group of girls here where I live now who kept tagging each other and saying really rude things. And then I would like run into them at the gym and that was really awkward for some time. <laughs> How did that not crush you? Because at one point, I mean, that probably would have felt like world endings. How did that work? Works for a lot of people hearing like, what? Someone's doing that? Like, I could never deal with that. How did you develop that? Well, I can't like sugarcoat it. It was the worst feeling. My like that anxiety, I felt my very first anxiety attack started coming back when I would randomly run into them in the gym. Mm. Even though I had never spoken a word to them, they just kept being really mean to me. So that anxiety did just bundle up. But at that part in my life, like I had two people, my best friend and my boyfriend, who I'm really, really close with. And I do tell everything to. Mm -hmm. They know about my history with my different mental issues that I was having, emotional issues that I was having. So they calmed me down and they were like, who cares? Like they always remind me, remember all the positive stuff. And so at that point in time, when I started to get a lot of trolls and negative things, I took the time to make like an album in my phone of screenshots of all the positive things that were being said. Mm. And when I got torn down, I would go to my little folder and Mm. I had multiple things to look at that were positive and to know that I could influence someone in a very positive way. It didn't matter if I had one troll or 10 trolls. It felt good to help one person. That's awesome. We've got this full picture of like the transformation you've gone through, the journey you've been on, and then you're now doing this for others as your full-time career. We've, we've talked mm-hmm. about you kind of expect people to open up about having a problem, and then, okay, they've said, I also have an eating disorder, or my life isn't perfect. Then what? <laughs> <laughs> Seems like a big problem to take on. It is, and it's a very hard on me emotionally so like I myself don't take on as many clients as a lot of online coaches I know online coaches who have like hundreds and hundreds of clients at one time and I just can't because I take I really dig deep into their emotions how I really allow them to come out and tell me all of that is because I do openly share with them even to this day like the other day I was on the phone with one of my clients and they were like, well, I just, I don't know. I didn't do very good this weekend. And they're getting like kind of beating around the bush on what happened. And I looked at them and I said, yeah, I had three pieces of pizza yesterday. Didn't plan for it. And then they're like, Oh, actually I had pizza yesterday and that's what I don't feel good about. And I'm like, okay, see, it's okay. Like admit it. So I think being honest with them about what I do helps. So you lead with your vulnerabilities or your struggles, which implicitly says it's safe for you to do the same Mm -hmm, definitely let's say someone's struggling you kind of you're having this process you're helping them they eventually change they have similar success that you've experienced what do you view your role as in that process i am the cheerleader i show them off to everybody i put them all over my instagram like proud of them and then i honestly i i 
I'm a cheerleader still, but I do kind of graduate into like the friend area where when they're done with their program with me, like I'm not here to just make a quick buck off a crazy transformation or whatever. Like I mm -hmm. want to create friendships and real communications through people. So I have so many clients who have finished their programs with me and they're really happy with all of these things they have now. But months later, they'll still send me pictures of their progress and be like, hey, I just want to remind you, like, you helped me start this. And I'm so proud of this and thankful mm -hmm. and grateful. And that's where I feel like I don't have to be so much of a cheerleader, but I'm more of like a good friend to be like, you go, girl. Like, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Same scenario. But this time, let's say someone starts the program and they drop out. How do you feel about your role in that? I make sure they know it's like their responsibility is on them. A lot of the time when people do drop out, it's them reverting back to those excuses that were holding them back in the beginning. So I, I openly tell them like, hey, like definitely you, you want to stop the program. I understand. And I know that it may just not be the right time for you, but I'm here when you're ready. Like I still let them talk to me. I just obviously can't give as much as I give to my clients. Mm -hmm. Still, they're cheerleader if they need me and they're like months later, show me something. I'm like, yes, you go. Like, that's so great. Like, just, you know, if you ever need anything, I'm here. But they, we just obviously didn't click. <laughs> I think that's really cool that like on both sides of the spectrum where you're not claiming credit for their success and you're not also accepting responsibility for their failure. How did that occur? It sounds like part of you is just naturally you're a people pleaser, so it makes sense you would want to believe that you are responsible for their, you know, their failures. And when they succeed, you would feel so good about yourself. And if they failed, you would feel so awful. How did you escape? Yeah. How did you escape from that trap of wanting to believe it's all about you? I think that goes back to my transformation of me knowing that I'm the one that saved myself. <laughs> because I was looking for the answers from other people and realizing I wasn't getting it. So even going through like my coaching business that I, I hired a business coach. I know that she gave me tools and she helped me, but she did not make me actually take action. And I know that it's because I did it. And I know my personal, like my physical transformations, because I actually did it. And it doesn't have anything to do with the coach actually sitting there making you do your reps and eat your veggies. Like, <laughs> you're, you're not a drill sergeant forcing them to. <laughs> no, no. And so I can't take full credit. And it's honestly, it's a little bit awkward when I get on like the last call to actually chat with them. And they're like, mm -hmm. oh my God, you've changed my life. And I'm like, girl, I, I gave you the tools, but you changed your life. Like, please give yourself credit. Like they need to be empowered in what they did. Mm. Female empowerment's definitely, I don't know if popular, it's definitely like, that's something that everyone is on board with. What does that actually mean to you? Being able to own who you are at all stages and being able to step up to the wins and the losses that you have in life and really admit that really be who you are and want to actually stand strong in your opinion and your thought and your voice. And in your mind, what is the biggest problem or thing holding females back from being empowered? Oh, the biggest thing. I feel like a meanie head when I'm meanie head, <laughs> when I um, blame society, but I really think a lot of it is society. I would never really consider myself as like an extreme feminist or anything, but I obviously, it's very obvious that we still are having a lot of issues around what 
power women should have and how they should look and how, what they should do and how they should act. And it's not even, it may not be each individual seeing society as a big impact, but it mm-hmm. could society be impacting their family. And now their family is their closest ones to them. So now their family is impacting them. So you do think there is a distinction then like, like with your coaching business, you're not going to either claim success or failure on behalf of another person. While you obviously play a role in that, that's not the biggest contributor, but you do feel in terms of what's holding women back, that same philosophy doesn't apply, that society or others are the main problem. Right. Mm-hmm. We're easily influenced. <laughs> I'm curious because it seems like in your coaching business, you would be like, you need to take responsibility for the self because if I make you dependent mm-hmm. upon me, then I'm not really doing you any favors. But you do, right. you do think there is, you do think society, as much as, you know, obviously as a coach, if you're not paying any attention to them or you're berating them, obviously you can do a lot of damage or help. So mm-hmm. it's not that you have mm-hmm. no role or no responsibility. To me, it's like it's the same mentality where it's like, how is that empowering to tell someone the main problem you're facing is outside of your control? And maybe that's true, but it's like that sure seems to, and it's not trying to excuse the problems or excuse that there isn't, you know, issues that need to be talked about and dealt with. But it, yeah, I'm just interesting. Yeah, no, I totally, I could see how that would like overlap like that. But I think the thing is that we aren't, believing in ourselves that we can have that power because society shuts us down so i think they need a voice like a coach to be like no you know what society is an issue because we allow it to be it doesn't have to be and i don't want it to be but that's how we're taught that's how we are brought up that that is the issue so i think we're just brainwashed to believe a certain way and they need someone to be like no, step into your own power. I don't care if society wants you to look a certain way or be a certain way. That's what you grew up with, but it is your decision. It's, this is you and your life and your body. You can't break me down. You can't take me down. Sometimes I 